0: Hello and a warm welcome to this week's edition of Econo Day Unplugged. It's Wednesday, the 4th of November, 2020. Mark Pender's on the US East Coast, Brian Jackson's in Sydney, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. October ended with global equities suffering their worst week since March and if that had anything to do with rising uncertainty about the US presidential election and concerns over sparring coronavirus cases, which it most probably did, then the latest developments regarding both warn that November could well have its problems too. In fact this is a particularly big week for financial markets in general And while the U.S. election may get most of the headlines, we have policy announcements from the Fed, the Bank of England and the Reserve Bank of Australia, in addition to a U.S. employment update and even possible news on a post-Brexit trade deal. So best we get on. I guess we've got to start with the inevitable question. So Mm. I've got to go to Mark. Well, look, Mm. it looks as if the polls have got it wrong again. And Donald Trump Mm. seems to be performing a good deal better than expected. Mm -hmm. So. Key question then, even if we can't say yet who will be the next president, is it reasonable to assume that there's no blue wave, in which, ca- in which case, you know, this really clouds the outlook for where fiscal policy is going to go, whoever wins? Yeah,
1: if it, no, because if it may, may not have been a wave, but it, it was a, a big enough of a ripple, in theory, to create uh, a situation where the Democrats will be in control. They appear to have control of the lower house. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, upper house of Senate seems to be split, and if Biden does um, get the um, election, uh, the Vice President um, uh, Kamala Harris will be the 51st uh, senator and will break that tie. So right. that would give them uh, what they would need. This is all theoretical, of course, mm-hmm. but but that was the question. So it's not the so the ultimate so it, the you know the outcome could still be. Um, a blue wave, even though in, in the actual voting and the, uh, the, the difference between the two parties was much narrower, as it has been. These polls have been wrong for, for uh, four or five years now, going back to Brexit. Um, so, and it happened again.
0: Certainly seems that way. And it's interesting, I guess, from the way the markets appear to be operating at the moment. I mean, looking at, as as we record this podcast, we got healthy gains coming through in certainly all the US major stock market indices. Uh, Europe finished up well too. And that's despite the fact that it does appear, it appears anyway at this stage, that we will have a split Congress then surely a split Congress ought to mean that prospects of a serious or significant fiscal stimulus package is going to be that much less than if either side had won outright.
1: Well, like I was saying, if it is a split, a dead split, the Democrats would have the edge. Plus, there's a little bit, you know, uh, Mitt Romney. He's a Republican from Utah and a, a former um, Republican nominee and uh, and an opponent of Donald Trump, uh, uh, he could go either way. So there's a there is a little bit of slippage on those edges. But you're right about the political. Uh, it, it would limit the ability for, um, you know, the, a degree, or it would it would have to go into compromise. Or in in, uh, in that uh, regard but um it's still it it's still kind of up in the air, and also i you know I imagine that there would be plenty of stimulus, whatever the outcome is here uh so um, and I know what I think a lot of what the issues are here in the. US is where that stimulus is going to go. Is that going to go to the coastal uh, 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 Democratic states or is that going to go to the interior states? So that's a little bit of the struggle that you're seeing here over the last uh, several, uh, several weeks in the, in the inability of the, of the Democrats and the Republicans to get together. Um, and, and it's really trying to limit uh, the amount that goes to the, the Democratic states
0: okay fair
2: enough we don't fair have much. to wait until sorry presumably we don't have to wait until um, you know whoever is inaugurated in January to to have some sort of deal perhaps uh, over the next uh, couple of months
1: I don't know you know the timing of this count this uh, that is going on is uh, completely unknown and you know I was doing the same um, The same line of work uh, 20 years ago when uh, um, uh, Gore and George Bush uh, tied (laughs) and they went to Florida and uh, they had – I don't know if you remember it, but they had – of, uh, they had to recount the votes and they had hanging uh, hang chairs. I, yeah. I think that, you know, punch cards that weren't quite punched in, and how do you count that? But you know what that caused? That caused uh, um, retail sales to go down. Uh, people stayed indoors, just glued to the television, trying to figure out what was going on. This was in, in November uh, uh, that year. And it. Started, it led it talk. It led to talk of um, of a recession, and then shortly into the next year, this uh, a recession did indeed begin. This case, uh, however, we're already pretty much indoors because of the pandemic. So I'm not sure what its uh, it, uh, what its economic impact is going to be, but its social impact is going to keep everyone You know, glued to the television, trying to figure out what is going on. And and the longer that process goes, the uh, the, the longer the consumer spending could uh, could be held down. Sure.
0: Okay. Watch this space, as they say. Okay. Well, let's just stick with the states for the time being. We have both an FOMC meeting; they'll be announcing tomorrow, Thursday, and of course the employment um, update on Friday. Mm -hmm. What should we be looking for out of them?
1: I wouldn't look for very much at all out of the Fed uh, tomorrow. Um, uh, uh, Brian's uh, uh, beat with the Reserve Bank of Australia is more interesting, but um, that bank went to 0.1, on their policy rate, the Fed's target is already 0.125. So it's already there and their QE has been unlimited for quite a long time and they've they've changed their inflation targeting. So, uh, and and of course, given all the uncertainty that's going on here, uh, they're going to want to keep their heads down, I would think, and so I really don't see anything uh, market moving on uh, Thursday tomorrow. but on Friday with the employment report, uh, uh, the econ- the economy day consensus is a 900,000 gain. Um, it, uh, a respectable gain, a, 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 maybe a bit of a, 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 a you know showing that there is resilience and that there the economy uh, and labor market is uh, bouncing back. We had the ADP however this morning and it was on the on the low side. Um, as well as uh, some of these uh, surveys, uh, um, whether it's the ISM or um, the PMIs, uh, they are not showing very much uh, punch at all on the employment side. Even though uh, it, orders have been going up in these surveys, uh, backlogs are still soft, exports are still soft, and employers, even though they have a, they seem to be a little bit more upbeat about the outlook, kind of assuming that. The coronavirus virus won't last forever, uh, but they're not hiring yet. So, if there is a, a disappointment, uh, a, a, a small gain in nonfarm payrolls, I think that that could lead um, to you know new questions and whether or not the U.S. economy may just be sinking into year end, which was a, a general concern several months ago. And and because of events has kind of like been pushed back also because of the third quarter snapback we got. Uh, But that could be back into the equation. And without a stable uh, position in Washington, um, that could mean, uh, you know, um, you know, trouble. Mm.
0: May politics be sorted out there as soon as possible. Okay, Right. Thanks for that, Mark. Um, Brian, now. If I read correctly, on Saturday Australia recorded zero COVID-19 cases for the first time in five months. But as Mark's already alluded to, the RBA still decides to come out and ease again this week. So how come and uh, where do they go from here?
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's sort of been an interesting tactic by the RBA. They um, you know they lowered policy rates just this week on Tuesday um, after having. Uh, sort of kept their powder dry for about five or six months since I think April was the last time they they cut rates during the initial response to the pandemic. So, um, you know, we've had a few uh, comments from RBA officials basically saying that they thought that they they wouldn't get, you know, the word they used was traction from uh, moving uh, while, you know, a lot of the economy was still in lockdown. So um, as soon as we have had, um, you know, over the last couple of months, better news on the COVID front, and, um, uh, you know, the announcement of of an easing of restrictions, then that sort of uh, made the RBA think, okay, now's the time that the the economy actually is ready to to kick into another gear, and so we can provide a little bit more stimulus. So that's what's happened this week, Uh, uh, lowering the the policy rate another 15 basis points to a new record low, uh, 0.1%, and also uh, just adjusting the the target for the three-year government yield lower, uh, also uh, lowering the rate on the term lending facility that they have and announcing more asset purchases, you know, more bond purchases over the next six months. So it's like uh, they think, okay, the economy is now in recovery mode. It's time to just give it a little bit more of a, of a, of a push.
0: OK, now, I saw some comments to the fact that they still don't seem to be too keen on the idea of a negative official interest rates, but they haven't ruled it out if they were to see other central banks, notably the likes of the Fed and perhaps even in my part of the world, you know, the Bank of England, the ECB, come out and cut rates further. So does that imply then that, I know they perhaps don't have a target for the Aussie dollar, but the currency has an important part to play in setting policy there? Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, yeah, they would love um, to see the, the Aussie dollar do as much of the work as possible for them um, just to, uh, to weaken and provide a bit of a support to Australian exports. Uh, you know, whether that happens, you know, it remains mm. to be seen. Obviously the Aussie dollar is, is often a key barometer of, of risk appetite in, in the markets. Um, so if we were to see uh, risk appetite globally pick up, then you'd probably see uh, the Australian dollar uh, appreciate. But um Yeah, that's uh, definitely something that the the RBA would like to do, and I think you're right. They they are reluctant to you know to cross that threshold into negative territory, and uh, in addition to the exchange rate, uh, I think they would also like a little bit more support on on fiscal policy. But um, that's probably not uh, forthcoming uh, in the very near term.
0: Okay, what about the rest of the region? The Chinese data seem to be underpinning hopes that the recovery is reasonably well underway over there. Yeah, we've had. um,
2: uh, almost all of the PMI surveys that you get at the start of the month uh, for the region, um, just I think one or two more to come out uh, by the end of the week. And they've all been pretty positive, uh, you know, starting with China, uh, both on the manufacturing side of things and the services side of things. The, the PMIs have all shown uh, further uh, expansion of activity uh, over October Uh you know, maybe not quite yet at pre-pandemic levels, but, you know, showing significant recovery uh, and bounce back from the lows, you know, earlier on in the year. Uh, and that's, that's sort of translating through to the rest of the region as well. India in particular, that's uh, seen some, some good PMI numbers as, as they've eased all their uh, uh, public health restrictions. Uh, and, and even in other parts of, of the region where um, they're still showing contraction uh, the contraction is, is much slower than what it was just a few months ago. So looking at places like Japan, Singapore and Hong Kong, uh, the PMI surveys there uh, are sort of almost back to that sort of 50 level, which uh, indicates, uh, you know, stabilisation.
0: So, I mean, so I'm within Europe. We'll talk about Europe in a minute. But, you know, the big concern here is this big second wave of uh, COVID-19. But in your part of the world, it's, things generally seem to be much better contained.
2: Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely uh, uh, true to say. I mean, you know, obviously no room for complacency and, uh, you, know, I th- you know, I think in some parts of, uh, of Asia there's still concerns about it, but um, here in Australia uh, trends are looking uh, good at the moment and obviously we're coming into our summer and that that might uh, help uh, the, mm-hmm. the prognosis as well. Um, whereas, you yeah, know, obviously... In the northern hemisphere part of Asia, um, that there might be some more concerns uh, as we go into winter. But uh, right at the moment, yeah, we, we're not seeing the same problems that we are in Europe.
0: Good. And long may that continue for your side. Okay then if we move on to Europe and well we've already sort of hinted at it's been the surprisingly sharp re-escalation in COVID-19 infections which is really sort of dominating markets and, and policy as far as things are concerned here. So we'll be having full or partial national lockdowns um, across a large swathe of a European Union and indeed the, the, uh, the United Kingdom as well or at least England and Wales which will be coming into effect uh, tomorrow on, on Thursday. Um, that's certainly uh, led to uh, a significant downgrading of expectations with regard to fourth quarter growth. It certainly pretty well guarantees that the November GDP data will be extremely weak. And with that in mind, I guess we saw the ECB meeting last week, although they didn't make any specific changes to policy then, which was in line with expectations. They very much uh, indicated that we will be getting some additional easing coming out in December with a magic word really in terms of the explanatory or if Official statement being a so-called recalibration and that for uh, ECB is really just ECB speak for means that they're looking to change policy. So it does seem that we're pretty well guaranteed, I think, now to get some form of increase in quantitative easing from the European Central Bank at their last meeting of the year. That'll be on December the 10th. It could be they'll actually reduce interest rates. I mean, clearly we've already got negative interest rates for a large part of Europe now. The ECB's benchmark deposit rate stands at minus 0.5 percent. And for a lot of months the general view I think has been that that effectively is below a bound for interest rates but there have been some comments coming out from a number of ECB officials over the course of the last months or so to suggest that they're at least contemplating the idea that they could take rates down even further um, that remains to be seen of course now I don't know for choice I think it's unlikely that I do it in December but it's certainly a possibility and were we to see that then, if uh, Federal Reserve interest rates are bottomed, then that could certainly be good news as far as the US dollar is concerned. Um, The same sort of problems we've really got for um, continental Europe are being reflected in the UK as well. Um, We'll be getting, as I mentioned earlier, a new one-month lockdown, a slightly softer lockdown than we saw back in March and April time uh, for most of the UK. That will kick in tomorrow, Um, and as a result of that, really, the Bank of England, which will be announcing their policy statement uh, tomorrow, Thursday, they're widely expected to come out and uh, increase quantitative easing again. It looks as if. Market consensus is probably about a £100 billion sterling increase in the current ceiling. That would take it up to £845 billion as, as the upper limit on overall uh, net asset purchases. Risk, I've got to say, though, I think in light of the way the economy looks if it, it's going to perform and indeed has shown signs of performing over the course of the last few weeks is that we could see a larger increase than in that. Um, I'd be very surprised if the bank doesn't come out in its new monetary policy report, which will be released at the same time as the bank's announcement on its actual policy stance, if that doesn't show a significant downgrading particularly of near term growth prospects and i think it's uh, kind of guaranteed almost now that we'll see a forecast which suggests a double dip as far as the uk economy is concerned and that would be a significant downgrade from what the bank was expecting not very long ago and this, Jerry, of course, yeah. can, can you can you touch on negative rates in the boe Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I must say it's been a tricky one for the market because there's quite clearly a split within the MPC, the Monetary Policy Committee itself, as to whether or not negative interest rates were a good thing for the economy or ultimately a bad thing. So we've had comments coming out from some members suggesting that, well, if you look across to what the ECB's been doing, as I mentioned, we've had, uh, well, basically the whole The whole eurozone yield curve up to about 30 years or so is below zero at the moment. Um, Negative interest rates or yields there, uh, the ECB maintains, has actually been beneficial To um, supporting the Eurozone economy. And although the banks may not like it because it's got to be bad news for their profitability, nonetheless, they're winning on the basis of the fact that the economy is performing better now than it would have done had interest rates been kept that much higher. So that's one view, but there's still very much a view, I think, from the majority of MPC members, which, like most countries until very recently, negative interest rates is something which has never happened in the UK before. And there's a natural resistance and cautiousness surrounding any kind of move into that area. And I think there's still this belief that at this stage, it's important to ensure that the banking system is operating smoothly and that banks are continuing to lend. And if a bank's going to continue to lend, they really need to make money. They've got to make some kind of profit. And I think to that extent, it's probably for this stage of the economic cycle, the majority sense is that negative interest rates may be all right, but not now. So I think although it's extremely unlikely that we'll see a move to negative rates, say bank rate over here at the moment is is only 0.1% anyway, so we're not far off negative rates. Um, But a move to negative rates I think on Thursday is unlikely, but if we see this second wave of the coronavirus continuing to really hit the economy throughout the rest of this year, so we get a particularly negative fourth quarter GDP print, then I think we may well see that the bank's just taking the view, well, look, we've got to do something more than just increased asset purchases and come out and cut interest rates. Because I think, you know, wherever you look at the moment, um, I think there's a sense within central banks themselves that has been so much QE thrown at financial markets over the course of the last year or so, indeed really over the course of the last several years for some countries, that it's a case of diminishing returns. So is it a case that, for example, if the Bank of England announces tomorrow, right, we're going to raise our quantitative easing ceiling by another £100 billion? Yes, it sounds quite a lot, but that's really pales into insignificance compared to what they've thrown at the the financial system in the first place so it's perhaps getting to the stage whereby central banks will be scratching their heads thinking well what else can we do and i suppose the real answer to that of course is as we talked about on previous podcasts is that monetary policy really is running out of ammunition it's time for fiscal policymakers to do more and i guess i should mention in that context for the uk uh, for people who worry about timings of announcements, the Bank of England announcement has been brought forward by five hours. So that will now be at seven o'clock uh, London time. And that will be because there will be a new statement coming out, of the UK Chancellor of the Exchequer, our finance minister um, and Hilbar. he'll by look, by looks who will be announcing some fresh fiscal support measures because the government, not just the Bank of England, are equally concerned about which way the economy is going at the moment. So um I think you know bottom line as far as Europe's concerned is that uh, the corona coronavirus crisis is back with a proverbial big bang and policy has been really caught a bit short but I suppose I think most of the experts expected that there may be some kind of mild second wave but it should be contained but in practice what's happened we've seen this huge escalation of cases and it really is pretty well right across the European continent now and policymakers are being rushed into trying to do even more than they originally thought they might have to. So it's, um, say, easy fiscal policy and monetary policy uh, still to come. Um, OK. Um, that's really my little but I should, should just quickly mentioned um, on Canada we see the Bank of Canada come out and announce uh, no changes in interest rates last week but I know it's, it's interesting uh, as part of that though they did indicate that they'll be altering slightly their portfolio of quantitative easing to the extent that they'll be shifting additional buying to longer dated maturities that's clearly aimed with a view to keeping the longer end of the curve down and I guess that's partly a reflection of what we've seen seen happening out of the US Treasury market, we'll be seeing longer dated yields clearly rise quite significantly over the course of the last few weeks or so and the Bank of Canada's concern that you know domestic yields there will be dragged up as a result of what's been happening stateside. Um, so I'm sure glad you're still there, Mark. Um, have you got any comments on say, on Fed policy with regards to you know what it's trying to do with the yield curve at the moment? Because we have seen a fairly sharp backup in longer dated yields.
1: Well, yes, we had a, a Treasury refunding today. This is what the um, from the Treasury side, and it it was a, a bit tilted more toward uh, funding the deficit with uh, longer dated Treasuries. Um, that could have an impact. Uh, it's not a, it's not a, a an out you know a move in this direction uh, the Fed has uh, downplayed in the past uh, yield uh, control yield curve control but it's something that they're talking about um, and um, you know the uh, the movement the immediate need for short-term uh, financing in the beginning of the crisis is now involved is uh, now evolved into a longer need um, of financing a longer term uh, a vast deficit. So um, that is that is something to look for, uh, and, and, and especially.
0: OK, right. Anyone else for anything else? Or we covered it all. Any else from your part of the world, Brant, no. which we should be talking about? No, no, I okay. think uh, everyone here is just waking up and
2: going to be looking at US election results for the next uh, 10 hours.
0: Next several weeks. Yeah, OK. Yeah. <laughs> all right, then. Um, well, let's call it a day then as far as this week's concerned. On behalf of Mark, Brown and myself, thanks as always for listening. Uh, for various reasons, these really are turbulent times for the investor investor community. So it's more important than ever to keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in the Colin Day's global economic calendar. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.